Our Bible reading now comes from John chapter 6. John chapter 6. John 6, starting from verse 16. And we're reading all the way to the end of 59. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got onto a, into a boat and started across the sea to, to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the work of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not, do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all, of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. As it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. 
I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Good morning. Glad to be with you this morning. Uh, Mount Evelyn send their greetings. Um, we're very glad to be able to participate in the pulpit swap this morning. Um, I pray that you guys have been uh, well and flourishing since I was last here. Uh, as Mount Evelyn, last week we celebrated our 70th anniversary. Uh, and so we're all excited and hopped up at the moment about God's faithfulness. And I uh, want to extend to you the same reminder that we've been blessed with. And that's that God is good. He's more generous than we give him credit for. And he really does build his church. Um, we're excited about this at the moment, uh, and it's our hope that God would remind you of his faithfulness too. And as I uh, listen to all the things that are going on here, uh, God is building his church by the sounds of it. You've got lots of things going on, uh, so lots of prayers for you for that. Uh, I've studied with Chris Shannon, uh, and I've always enjoyed his company, uh, and pray for him because um, he'll be packing his dacks, just so you know. Uh, it's not, a, it's not a fun thing to come and do. It's very stressful, so make sure you pray for him and his family. Uh, he might have a few more gray hairs by the end of this. So let us pray. God, we thank you this morning uh, that you have gathered us uh, to hear your word, uh, to bless your people, to lead us, to sanctify us, God. Uh, I thank you, Lord, that you are so generous to us, and I pray, Lord, that we would just um, receive all you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, can anyone remember what I preached about last time I was here? I remember. It's always, it's always one of those tests as a minister, like how much are people actually <laughs> remembering? But anyway, uh, last time we spoke about Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. Uh, we spoke about the salvation event of the Old Testament. Uh, and now this morning, as we jump into our section in John, uh, you might notice some striking similarities uh, between the time of Moses and this time of Jesus uh, in the wilderness, uh, offering bread uh, and, and lo loaves and fishes to uh, the people uh, and all those kind of things. There's some uh, remarkable similarities here. And they're not by coincidence, they're not by accident, they are on purpose. We're going to touch on some of those, but before we do, uh, it's important for us to take account of why John, why John has written his gospel. 
Why did he write it? There were lots of other disciples who didn't write Gospels. Why did he write his? Sometimes we can slip into thinking that the Gospels are just to be a record of Jesus' ministry. But that's not really what the Gospels are in their essence. And specifically in John, he tells us exactly why he has written his Gospel. Sometimes with some of the other Gospels, we have to try and figure it out. But John's been very generous to us and told us exactly why he has written his Gospel. In John 20, verse 30 and 31, John writes this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, these things are written in order that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is not interested really in writing a catalogue of Jesus' miracles. It's not what he's here for. He's not just writing a record of Jesus' life. No, John is writing his gospel in order that his readers may come to know the Jesus that he knows. And if anybody knew Jesus, it's John. He's writing his gospel in order that his readers may come and know the Jesus he knows. John is writing in order that his readers may come to know Jesus as Jesus presented himself to be. John is writing in order that his readers may know and put their faith in the authentic Jesus because in him there is salvation and eternal life. This is how we are to read the book of John. We are to read it as a book where the author is trying to present a case to us. He's trying to argue a case for Christ. If you've been around Christian circles, you might recognize that title. But John gave the first case for Christ. And it's important for John, it's important for John to present a case for Christ because that's what Jesus did for himself. Jesus was very deliberate about the portrait that people could paint of him. And he was deliberate because people's salvation depends on it. Jesus didn't want them coming away from uh, their interactions with him, with any other, other, uh, any other understanding of himself, other than he was really God. He was really Jesus the Messiah. Because in him we find God and the life that he purchased for us. Jesus rebuked people. He taught people. He corrected people. He would not let people have any other conception of him than who he wanted them to see. So John has this purpose also. And in John 6, we see him continue to develop this purpose. Obviously, there's five chapters before now. So he's continuing to develop this purpose And what we get to here uh, is what can only be really considered a, almost a passing reference to Jesus walking on the water. It's really only presented in just a few short lines. And the question is, why does John summarize this narrative? If he's going to cut this much out of it, why did he include any of it? But why did he summarize this narrative? 
in Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel, we see a lot more uh, of a developed narrative being presented. But John sums it up in just a few lines, and the question arises, why? And John does so because he wants to present the essence of the account to us. The essence of the account. As we said in John 20, he's building a case for Christ. And John was willing to leave out a lot of what the others contribute. Mark and Matthew record other aspects like Peter walking on the water. We like that bit, don't we? John's like, put it on the floor. Cutting room floor. Matthew will deal with it. (laughs) But John cuts it out. Uh, And Mark and places like that, we see a dialogue between the disciples and Christ. But John cuts it out. Because for John, the focus is on the fact that he met them on the water. He met them on the water. And the focus for John is that this action was Jesus displaying and proclaiming who he really is. That's what John cares about right now in these verses. Jesus, in this account, uses uh, this action as a self-defining action. He uses it as a means of revealing himself, revealing who he is. And this is the main point for John. For John, this event is not so much about the response of the disciples or that Peter got to walk on water with Jesus, but the revelation of himself that Jesus was proclaiming through this event. The revelation being that he is the Lord of the elements. He is the master of creation. He is the one uh, who in himself has the power to do what God did in the Exodus. These verses, all the verses, we read quite a few, uh, these verses are all about Jesus revealing himself to people and not giving them quarter to them, uh, for them to decide who they think he will be. No, he's presenting a very clear picture to them. These verses are about Jesus' self-revelation to these people. In just a few verses earlier, we saw the feeding of the 5,000. And we see allusions to Moses and Israel's time in the wilderness. Now, uh, in the walking on water, we again see allusions to Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. Moses walked through the Red Sea, and now Jesus walks on the sea. And in his discourse that follows that we read, Jesus highlights the importance of the things he's doing. Starting in verse 32, we see that Jesus very very deliberately brings up the idea of Moses and the wilderness and the bread in the minds of his followers because Moses gave them the way in which they now currently live. Yes, they're in the faith of Abraham, but that got established through Moses. This is their conception. We have the faith given by Moses. He gave them the way in which they are now currently living, but Jesus is going to show them the greater way. And in those verses, we see that Jesus proclaims that Moses was just the mediator of God's blessings. Moses was not the blessing, he was just a mediator. He was just the distributor or the caretaker of God's blessings, where Jesus is the blessing of God. Jesus is the blessing of God. Moses brought down the word from God off off the mountain. He had the 
tablets. Remember that bit? Jesus brought down, uh, sorry, Moses brought down the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Moses walked through the sea. Jesus walks on the sea. Moses presided over God giving bread from heaven. Jesus is the bread of heaven. Jesus wants the Jews to see this because while Moses gave them the law, Jesus is going to be the fulfillment of that law for them. The law that Moses gave showed them their shortcomings. If you've ever read the law of God, one of the main things you'll walk away with was, ooh, geez, <laughs> that's not me. I'd like it to be me, but it's not. Even if you've been a Christian for 80 years, you go, I've made some progress in some areas and maybe I've fallen behind in some others. But it's not us. The law of Moses is given to show their shortcomings and now Jesus is doing on their behalf what they could not do for themselves in order that they may receive all the blessings that they were promised if only they had been faithful. When you read the covenants of God, there are many, many promises that are given if they would be faithful. But they never are. They never are. And so Jesus comes to fulfill all the requirements on their behalf so that he may purchase for them the promises that currently were left unclaimed. They were not and could not ever be faithful to these promises, to these covenants. So now God himself is here to do on their behalf what they could not do for themselves. And Jesus does not want them to be able to perceive what he's doing in any other way than that. We now see how purposeful Jesus was. Because as this crowd, we heard this crowd, they've been kind of following him around. They've been trying to pinpoint him. They don't have GPS. They don't have, you know, pin your location here. You know, they, they go to the one side. He's not there. They go to the other side. They find him. And they ask him all these questions. And Jesus doesn't answer their questions. Jesus, for, that, for Jesus, that's not what it's about. What he does is he rebukes them. He says, you're just following me around because you had your fill of the loaves. You're not here because of who I reveal myself to be. You're here because of what you can get out of me. So he rebukes them. He calls them out. Because they have a perception of him, or they have an agenda for him that really has nothing to do with who he is or what he is here to do. And we see a similar thing in verse 15. We didn't read it, but the, the uh, verse before we started the crowd, after he's fed them, they want to make him king. He hands out the, uh, the, the, the fish and the loaves, free food. Maybe that gets your votes, I'm not sure. Uh, but they wanted to make him king. They wanted to hijack what he was doing. He didn't come to be the kind of king that they wanted him to set him up to be. So he withdrew from them. He wasn't going to let the mob hijack who he was or what he was doing. Instead, he withdrew from them, and now he calls them out in order to rebuke them for trying to determine who he is instead of accepting him for who he reveals himself to be. Jesus is the revelation of God in the flesh, and they are trying to define him as opposed to listening to how he defines himself. And people today still do this all the time. 
I don't know if you've maybe encountered this. Maybe you've done this. I say maybe is because I want to be generous to you. This year, I had the privilege of conducting my sister's wedding. And at the reception, I got uh, talking with a, a fella. He was interested in talking to me about uh, religion, not Christianity, religion. Because uh, I conducted the wedding, it kind of meant my cover was blown. Uh, he knew he could kind of get me. And um, so he asked me a number of questions about our faith, and, and I answered them. And then he told me he, he, he was into this thing called esoteric religion. I didn't know what it was either, all right? So <laughs> I, I didn't know then, I still don't know now. But what he did was interesting. He did this very interesting thing as I was talking with him. We'd had like, I don't know, an hour and a half conversation. I kind of forgot my sister's wedding was on. Um, and he did this thing at the end of the conversation. And he said that we're basically on the same page. We're just coming at it from two sides of the same coin. And I thought that was really odd. It was really odd because he was trying to smooth over Jesus. He was trying to just ignore or minimize the Jesus question in order to have unity with me. He was basically trying to picture of Jesus that didn't really matter so that we could basically be in the same camp. What made this all a little bit more odd was the next day I was in the caravan park and I ended up talking to about six Muslim guys. And they did the same thing. They brought up Jesus. They brought up Jesus. I was like, oh, I've got him now. But they brought up Jesus. And they were saying that, oh, we basically agreed about Jesus. And we're really on the same page. Now, of course, there is a lot of common ground. But they're again trying to do this thing where they minimize Jesus. They define Jesus so that we could be Unified. They said, we agree on 95% of the things about Jesus. And I had to say to them, I understand that, but that 5%, that's the most important part. Jesus' divinity, his blood sacrifice on our behalf for our redemption, that's the most important part. <laughs> they were trying to smooth over Jesus so that we could be on the same page. But that 5% that maybe we don't agree on is the most important. And it's the most important because our role in our relationship with God is to let God define who he is and then adjust our understandings, not tell him the box that he is allowed to fit in to fit our purposes. Our responsibility in our relationship with God is to let him tell us who he is, reveal himself to us, impress himself upon us, rather than define him away, put him in the box that we're okay with. This is important because if we do not open our ears to Christ and let him teach us who he is, we will miss the only Savior, the only God, the only Rescuer, who is coming for us. The people I was talking to that weekend refused to listen to how Jesus defined himself. And so they're missing out on the Savior, the only one who is coming to redeem the souls of man.
people in our day want to define Jesus in such a way that suits them. And what people were doing, what people are doing now, they were doing back then also. They were trying to define who Jesus was and what he was here for. But Jesus' response to them was, I will tell you who I am. I will tell you who I am. I will define myself. I will proclaim to you who I am. And your job is to listen. In our verses for this morning, we see Jesus goes on to do just that. And he proclaims to these Jews that he's talking to that he is the bread of life. Bread that does not spoil, bread that does not age. Bread that gives life, bread that sustains even beyond the grave. He is the bread that is given by God and bread that whoever eats of it shall be saved and kept for the Father forever. Bread that is available to all who would partake of it. And those who do partake of this spiritual bread will never be hungry or thirsty again. And he uses this bread imagery here because he's talking to the Jews and he's linking it back to the bread that they ate in the wilderness. He uses this bread imagery to link it back to what what they ate in the wilderness that they are still putting their faith in. They are still putting their faith in Moses, the one who they think gave them the bread in the wilderness, but those who eat of that bread still die. This bread resolves no eternal issues. Now Jesus stands here in the flesh to offer them a bread that will cause them to live forever in the presence of the Lord. If only they would take it. If only they would accept it. If only they would believe in him. The only thing that's required of them by Jesus in this whole redemptive work is that they would respond to the work that God is doing through him. That they would place their trust in him. Put their dependence in him so that he may work on behalf of the ones who do. This is the message of Christ. This is the Christ that John wants us to know about. The Christ that wants to work on our behalf. This is the Christ John wants us to know. He wants us to see and put our faith in because as Christ says here, he is going to give his flesh to absorb the wrath of God. He is going to give his body, his blood. It's going to be poured out to absorb the wrath of God that mankind is continually storing up for itself. And there is no question that we are storing up the wrath of God for ourselves. Turn the news on. Point made. (laughs) We are storing up the wrath of God for ourselves. And we have been since the garden. And now Jesus is here to take all of that, all of the horrific things that we see, and all of the little things that we ignore, that are actually quite horrific also, he's here to take all of those things and bear the full brunt of God's wrath on our behalf. Christ has come to bear the entire brunt of God's wrath so that it may be satisfied in Christ and then all that remains for those who accept Jesus, 
doing this for them on their behalf, all that's left is mercy, love, and grace. Imagine if you uh, were coming to do this kind of thing for someone that you loved, or the entire world even. You would want people to listen. If you'd come on a rescue mission for people, you would want them to listen. You wouldn't want them to listen to your words and then construct a completely different understanding of what you'd come to do. Because people then would miss what you'd come to do. You don't want that if you were trying to save someone. And Jesus, coming to save people, he didn't want people to define away what he was here to achieve. Because he takes no delight in the destruction of the wicked. And so he, he comes tangibly in the flesh to proclaim, not through a prophet, but through his own lips, that he has come to seek and save those that are lost. This is the kind of Jesus we have. This is the kind of Jesus that he revealed himself to be. We do not have a love is love man kind of Jesus. We don't have a, a long head holding a lamb, a stiff wind could blow over kind of Jesus. We don't have a hateful everybody is going to burn kind of Jesus. No, we have Jesus, the bread of life, given freely to all who would believe. Jesus, who holds absolute righteousness and at the same time throws himself in front of our judgment in order that we may live. Jesus, who descends from glory into the world of man in order that he may proclaim salvation and grace. Jesus, who has power, sustains and keeps all who depend on him even as the evil one tries to pluck us from his hands. Our Jesus is the Jesus of Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary, who lived a sinful life to die in our place, and whom God raised again from the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father to intercede on behalf of all who would call him Saviour. This is our Jesus. Jesus is Lord and our responsibility is to deal with him as he presents himself to be, not to redefine him. The question John always has for his readers is, what are you going to do with this Jesus? It doesn't matter what you do with all the other caricatures of Jesus. What are you going to do with this Jesus? Will you be like the disciples who come eventually to put their faith in him? Or will you be like the Pharisees who willingly turn Jesus into anything and everything but the Messiah to whom they must bow? What are we going to do with this Jesus? If you're a believer here this morning, the encouragement to you is that Jesus is exactly who he proclaimed himself to be. You've put your faith in him. You've trusted in him. And he is exactly who he proclaimed himself to you to be. He wouldn't let anyone else define him. He wouldn't let anyone else tell you who he was. He told you who he was himself and you can trust in him. Because he is the bread of life. He is the one who walks on water. He is the master of the elements. 
He controls everything. And what he did with that control is made a way for us to be forgiven. What a glorious saviour. From the very mouth of God, he declared that he came to save you. He was clear and deliberate, not allowing anyone to distort his message. And so we receive the pure and unadulterated salvation word of God from the very mouth of God in order that you may believe in his name with full confidence and inherit the eternal life God has for you. If you're not a Christian yet here this morning, then the same offer is extended to you. Every Christian in history has had to take up this offer. Nobody's born a Christian. Just because you're born in McDonald's does not make you a hamburger. If you're born in the church, you have privileges. You have blessings. I I was born outside the church, and I look at the blessings my children now have being born into the church. Mm, There's blessings. There's promises. But every Christian who's ever lived has approached Jesus as he's revealed himself to be and said, okay, Jesus, I believe you. If you're not a Christian here yet this morning, that same offer extends to you. And that offer is that if you take Jesus at his word, if you take him for who he says he is, if you lay aside your caricatures of Christ and trust in the Jesus that he reveals himself to be, that you also can receive this bread of life. What did Jesus say the work for us to do was? Nothing but believe. Nothing but believe. This is the only way anyone becomes a Christian, and every person who rightfully calls themselves a believer has done this very thing. And this morning, John poses the question to you, what are you going to do with this Jesus? One of your options is to start that journey of faith here this morning. And if you want to do that, I encourage you to pray to God. Talk to him. Tell him yourself that you want to take him at his word. Talk to him and tell him you want to accept him for who he said he was and is. Tell him you want to turn from trying to define him away to letting him define you. Tell him that you want to respond to his gracious offer of forgiveness that Jesus has purchased for you. I remember my first prayer. I sat on my bed at home. I've been to youth group for a number of times now. And I said, God, I don't know if you're there. I feel like an idiot. Amen. (laughs) That was my first prayer. I remember it. And so it might feel strange for you to pray to God. But just because it's strange for you doesn't mean it's strange for him. He saw you coming. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you that we have received the message of who you are. For those of us in this room that are believers in you, we thank you, Lord, that you would not let yourself be hijacked. You would not let your mission be taken over to achieve something other than what you came to do. Because what you came to do for us is glorious, God. You hung on a cross, died in our place, so that we may inherit the life that you have set aside for us, God. You absorbed our punishment so that we could receive your blessing. I pray, Lord, for people as they consider you for the first time, maybe, God. I pray, Lord, that you would just 
reveal yourself to them as they seek, they would find. And I pray, Lord, that those of us that are Christian, we would never forget how unique and powerful and wonderful and gracious you are to us. In Jesus' name, amen.